Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Mark chapter 14. I mentioned earlier in this series that the average length of a chapter in the Bible is about 26 verses, but the Gospel of Mark has some really long chapters, and none longer than this one. This chapter has 72 verses, so it is almost three times longer than the average chapter in the Bible. That means we'll have to be very selective today in our comments. Hear now the word of the Lord. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, it'd be very easy to miss the connection between these two stories. So in John's version of this story, he makes sure to tell us that it was Judas who was offended when the perfume was uh, poured over Jesus. That perfume was worth almost a year's wages, if you can imagine. And and so he, he was very offended. And Mark doesn't tell us who was offended. He just says some people thought this money had been given to the poor. John tells us that it was Judas that said that. John chapter 12, verse 6, he goes on to say, he said this, Judas said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas was a hypocrite and a thief. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Worse than that, he was a wolf in shepherd's clothing. And such people receive stern condemnation in the Old and in the New Testament. Story goes on to say in verse 12, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
and he shall show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, again, as in the case with the colt, the foal of a donkey, this looks like a prepared scenario. Jesus is being appropriately crafty here. He knows that the authorities are out to get him. And so he has made some secret arrangements. And part of those secret arrangements is a secret signal. Men in those days didn't normally carry water. Women did that. And so Jesus has arranged for a signal that would not have been weird enough to arouse suspicion, but that would have been weird enough to be noticed by the disciples. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it was written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Obviously, this is the event which gave birth to the central Christian sacrament or ordinance called the Eucharist. The word Eucharist means simply the thanksgiving or to give thanks. Christianity is fundamentally a religion about gratitude. It's not about what we can do to appease God. It is about what God did to save us. That's the heart of Christianity. Christianity is about what God did in Christ for our salvation. We don't repeat that. We receive that. And we give thanks. The essential attitude of the person of faith is therefore gratitude. And the essential act of Christian worship is giving thanks. We jump back into the text, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. 
And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, there is so much we could say here, but we simply don't have the time. You could spend your whole life meditating on this text, but let me just point out a few things. Let me point out, first of all, that the death of Jesus on the cross was necessary. Jesus asks the Father if there is any other way, and of course, there wasn't. That's important for you to know. You'll hear sometimes people say that Jesus only died because the people of those days didn't recognize him. Had they understood who he was, things might have been very different. His death was therefore an accident of history, they say. But that's not true. It was necessary. Whether these people were particularly sinful or not is not the issue. The issue is that all people are sinful, and the cross was the agreed-upon price for human sin. That was the cup that Jesus agreed to drink. On the cross, he took upon himself the sins of all God's people, and he drank them to the dregs. That was the cup. That was the cost. That was the cross. Verse 43, and immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. So this is what the authorities have been waiting for, a quiet private opportunity to arrest Jesus away from the protection of the crowds. And this is what Judas gave them. Verse 51 says, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now this always seems an odd verse to modern readers, but it was very common in those days for authors to insert themselves into the story, particularly if they had been eyewitnesses of the main events, and Mark was. The young man was Mark, the scribe who is writing now the recollections of Peter. He was part of the wider group of disciples, and he was obviously there that night, and like the rest, he ran away 
in fear and shame. Verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Now, this passage is highly significant for any number of reasons, but one of them is that the fact that our Muslim friends and neighbors will sometimes try and say that Jesus never directly claimed to be the Son of God, and, and that claims of divinity only appeared in later centuries in, in books that never made their way into the Bible. And yet here, in the earliest gospel, originating from Christ's closest disciple, we have a very clear and unambiguous affirmation of deity in answer to a direct question from the high priest. The high priest says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, the Son of God? To which Jesus answers, I am. That wasn't a confusing statement. And no one there was confused by the statement. That's why they needed no further witnesses. That's why the high priest tore his clothes. Jesus had just committed the most severe form of blasphemy. Unless, of course, he was telling the truth. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and 
wept. Nothing has gone the way Peter imagined. Jesus hasn't led as Peter had imagined. And Peter hasn't followed as Peter had imagined. Peter's dreams had to die, and die they did that night. Peter's self-confidence had to die, and die it did as well. And of course, as we will learn shortly, Jesus had to die, and die he did. But thanks be to God, this is not the end of the story. But this is the end of our podcast. We'll pick it up again tomorrow. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 